Hey, it's me, that email that's been sitting in your inbox for quite some time that you marked as unread that you're definitely going to reply to soon, right? Definitely, right? Look, I know the reply is awkward and you don't know exactly what you should say in this email. So if you need some motivation to get through this overdue reply, why don't you pop on an episode of this podcast? Before I continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, I'm excited to announce that season two of Meddling Adults, one of the other podcasts that I work on, just launched and the show is back with the vengeance for solving more children's mysteries and raising more money for charity. The season has been off to a great start. We had Robin and Bayana from Wizard Team on the first episode. There will be more guests that have been on Potterless on that show as well. If you haven't listened to it, I'm very biased, but I think you're going to love it. It's got a lot of the same nostalgia vibes and children's book dunking on that make Potterless what it is. And it's just a fun time and we raise money for charity along the way. So if you want to listen to the show, just search Meddling Adults wherever you listen to your podcasts or go to our website, meddlingadults.com. Second, I'm very happy to say that Potterless a couple weeks ago passed 50 million downloads, which is ridiculous. Thank you all so much for listening to the show, for telling your friends about the show, for posting about the show on social media. I cannot stress enough how important word of mouth is for a podcast's growth. So the fact that many of you have told other people to listen to the show and then they told other people to listen to the show and so on and so on and so on. So much of where I am is because of what you have done, and I am forever grateful to you for helping Potterless be what it is and reach the audience that it has. And 50 million downloads is something that I never could have dreamed of when I started the show, and I'm just excited to see where we can keep going. But that is so awesome, and I just want to thank all of you so much for listening to the show and sharing the show and just helping me achieve my dreams, man. This is just some cool stuff. Thank you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Speaking of thank yous, I want to thank our new newest members of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterless who are helping to keep the show going. So shout out to Allie Langridge, Bex Sherwood, Tess Gillanders, Champion the Dog, Sarah Christine, Leanne Kenny, and someone that made their name, you better come to Switzerland on tour. I'd love to. I've never been to Switzerland. Let's make it happen. A name correction for Acacia Raffle. Shout out to Abby Rauch, Kylie Sue, and Rivka, who all upgraded their pledges. And a huge shout out to our newest producer-level patrons, Nash Sanadiki, Brett Clausen, and Hunter Gordon. They join the ranks of Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clown, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Rosemary, Marie, Lisa, Romina, Audra, Elnor, Nikita, Ali, Sarah, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, The Owl, Moster, Alex, John, Noel, Brandon, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Maya, Flores, Siri, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Samantha, Aurora, Marcos, Marique, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Brianna, Kevin, Lori, Chrissy, Jarl, Peter, Sophie, Jen, and Callahan, Leah, Melissa, Bella, Melanie, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's mom, T-Run, Madison, Tonk, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Boney, Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Rochelle, Megan, Alicia, Riley, Laurel, Rossan, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Andren, Steve, Leor, Julia, Demi, Michelle, Callista, Lovekesh, Jennifer, Crystal, Henrique, Jeremy, Delkis, Katrina, Jerica, Casey. Megan, Zot, Jack, Sophia, Dan, Rochelle, Kirstie, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Daddykins, Aaron, Not My Daughter, Yupiacha, Laria, Lori, Gregory, Krista, Kaka, Nina, Ribbon, Brittany, It's Definitely Ludo, Bagman, Ravenclaw, Gavin, Ashley, Grant, Aaliyah, Jack, Serenity, Emily, Haley, Sabrina, Malfoy, Sean, Jenny, Laura, Ella, Eileen, Annette, Kirsten, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never, when they're making eggs for breakfast, think, wow, these eggs are taking a long time to cook, only to realize they never turned on the stove. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to director's commentary, bonus episodes, exclusive live streams, exclusive merch, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 143 of Potterless, the first of two episodes covering Quidditch through the ages with Jania Stewart from the House of Black podcast.
Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 28-year-old man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and unfortunately, along the way, he had to learn about Quidditch. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined today, the most illustrious host of the House of Black podcast. It's Jania Stewart, who jokingly told me to introduce her as that, but I'm sticking with it. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) I am very happy to be here and excited and obsessed with this podcast i actually got to as far as order the phoenix before i was like wait i have to stop because i'm gonna hear about sirius dying and it's gonna hurt oh no <laughs> <Too real. laughs> yes yeah, so i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna come back later <laughs> <laughs> regardless i'm glad we could make this crossover happen it is long overdue but you know we're going back into i i had the nice holiday vacation from her in that i was doing a very potter musical and sequel and senior year and all this other stuff. So I was avoiding the canon stuff. But now we're back to things that J.K. Rowling had a hand in because I just kind of want to get them out of the way. I just want to be done with her. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, that means we have to revisit these spinoff books she wrote and then the terrible Fantastic Beasts movies that she had a hand in. Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's super fun. (laughs) And now I get a really fun, cathartic way to just let out my anger on the situation vicariously through a subject that brings me so much disdain, which is Quidditch. I also think it's been quite some time since I've had a good old Quidditch rant, since Quidditch isn't in a lot of the stuff I've been covering of late. What is your relationship with Quidditch? Are you a fan? Are you against it? How do you feel? I don't really care about it. The only time that it seemed exciting to me was in Goblet of Fire, just because of like the international aspect to it, where it was like, it's not just this sport that they play at school. Like It's a big deal in like the broader, you know, culture of everything so I thought that that part was kind of cool but that's just because like I watch the world cup every four years and follow soccer at no other point in my life and (laughs) like I love that and I love the olympics like I just love multiple people from multiple places like coming together to do sports I think that that's so cool but aside from that like I would get to the chapters of quidditch in the book and I'm like okay like what is there can we can we please get i don't care about this that's why goblet of fire is great because there is no quidditch yeah it's just in the beginning and then they get out of the way and even they don't even like describe much of the world cup Mm -hmm. match it goes pretty quickly yeah i think that is the fun approach and yeah i think that's what i wanted this quidditch through the ages book to be like you get into it in the second half of the book, which I'm assuming we won't get to in this episode. So that's very fun. But I feel like the second half of this book is more fun in that you get to learn more about Quidditch throughout the world. But the first half, and I know that these are written to be textbooks, but it reads like a textbook. And I don't think anyone's ever been like, yo, this textbook is tight. You know, like... (laughs) I don't think anybody ever enjoys reading a textbook. Right. And I'm fresh off of grad school. Like I graduated last year with a math. Oh, congrats. So I'm I'm reading this and it's bringing back like dark memories of like <laughs> academic text and everything. And I'm like, this is, I mean, I guess it's sort of interesting. But like, even as I'm reading this, I'm like, as a Quidditch player, like, why would I care about anything in this book? Like, it's not, there's not really anything helpful in it. There are glimmers of entertaining aspects of it. And then I feel like they get overshadowed by just mundane things that are either confusing or boring or both. And I know JK wrote these for charity. I get that it's not as intensive a production as some of the other contributions she's made to the series, but it really feels like these were mailed in. (laughs) 
it's like, oh, you want me to write something? Let me just put, let me just throw something together. Let me just throw some stuff together. It'll be about Quidditch. A lot of it won't make sense with what I've already established. It'll contradict things that are already happening in the book. But yeah, it'll be fun. People will love it. Yay. Right. And I'm like, okay, if there was any subject, you know, that I would want to read a book on in the Harry Potter universe, like I'm into transfiguration. It's giving me physics. It's giving me biology. I want to know more about that. What are the rules? Right. That sounds fun. But, and there was like this one part in the Quidditch through the ages about someone getting turned into a bat and having like the brain of a bat. And I was like, that's cool. I want more things about whatever this is. But it's just like Quidditch. Like, I don't, I just don't care. (laughs) I don't dislike it, but I just truly, it's just not even, it doesn't even register for me. Like I'm just so indifferent to it. For sure. Well, let's get into the book that you're indifferent towards and I dislike, but you know, here it's, it's where we're at. And that's the best we're going to do here for Quidditch Through the Ages by Kennelworthy Wisp. So this book, like the other books in the Hogwarts Library series, have the fun, very confusing lore slash kayfabe slash canon slash whatever you want to call it, where these books are written by J.K. Rowling, but they are written in quotation marks by the author because they are like an in-universe textbook. But then they are adapted into a way where they are sold to muggles, but then altered so that muggles think they're fiction. But then also the book still mentions that it's a fundraiser for charity. So you have this introduction, this foreword by Dumbledore that tries to explain all of this, and it made my brain turn into a liquid mush. It was awful. (laughs) I was like, I really didn't need this. This could have been at the back of the book, to be honest. (laughs) I can understand trying to do a cute way of establishing what is happening because it is a bit confusing here. But instead of doing it in the character of Dumbledore outside of the textbook, which is inside of the canon, just have a page that's just straight up from J.K. Rowling that's like, hi, my name is J.K. Rowling. I wrote this book myself. It is raising money for charity. Let's pretend, like, I I don't get why you have to be so fucking cute about it. Just tell us what this is. (laughs) Just explain what is happening in a clear way. Explain it to me like I'm five. Please. So that's all of this. And uh, that's the whole foreword, but let's get into the actual meat and potatoes of the book, which begins with chapter one, which is called The Evolution of the Flying Broomstick. Mm -hmm. Uh, It opens with talking about how wizards can't fly without aid. So you can't just straight up fly like you're Superman. You can levitate, but you still need some sort of object to make you actually fly. They do mention animagi, but then, as you talked about earlier, they briefly mention people getting transformed into bats, but then... When they do so, they have bat brains. So do these people ever turn back? When you're an animagist, does your brain change? This seemingly innocuous sentence made me have so many questions. So I think... I think I may have an answer here. Okay, cool. Sweet. So I think when you're an animagi, you turn into an animal on purpose and like, you know, you work towards it. But the word that was used in the bat sentence was transfigured into a bat. Mm. It kind of made me think about like all those weird experiments in the book where they try to turn like a rat into a cup or something. Like (laughs) They try to turn a bird into like a mouse or something like that. So I think when it's like a transfiguration, then like you have no no kind of sense of self, I guess. But it, if you're it. an animagi, maybe you do because like I remember in the books, like Sirius was saying like he like he has his mind as a dog, but he has more dog like aspects in his mind, I guess, when he's in dog form. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe that's what it is, but still 
I hate it. <laughs> um, I also hate that they were like, the wizards in the West wanted to use broomsticks, unlike their brethren in the East who used yes. flying carpets. I was like, flying, do you have any idea how big the East is? Why would everyone there be using flying fucking carpets? Yeah, the book tries to do this cute thing where they try to establish Quidditch is part of the reason as to why muggles have the stereotype of, oh, witches fly on brooms and stuff. I was confused a bit about the whole flying carpet thing because at first it does feel weird that they're like, those fucking idiots with the flying carpets. <laughs> I don't understand why. Ah, yes, brooms is clearly so much better. The idea of both terrifies me. I mean, at least with a carpet, I feel like I have more space to just kind of like spread out maybe, but like, I don't like the idea of either of these. And I think it's so strange that that wizards can essentially like teleport places, but flying is where they draw the line and they absolutely cannot do that, but they can teleport from place to place. <laughs> like, I was just like, you mean to tell me after like thousands and thousands of years that you guys can do this thing, but you can't do this other thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> what I also find strange though about them dissing magic carpets is I feel like Quidditch on magic carpets is way cooler. That feels like way more entertaining to watch. Are you kidding me? Like, can you imagine just having to sit and like you can't stand and you have to try everyone sitting on their flying carpets and they have to try to pass and score and all this while never standing, just sitting? Either that or they're all standing and they look like the silver surfer. <laughs> where <laughs> Either option, it looks way cooler than riding on a broom. And honestly, like Quidditch on surfboards is like oh. it sounds better than Quidditch on a broom. You know, like surfboards it's like you have to balance and you also have to like there's no sitting there's none of that like you have to balance and you also have to score and like people try to push you off and things like that you like jump on someone else's carpet and try to steal the quaffle from them oh uh, yes the possibilities are endless so they say that brooms were chosen as the flying devices as opposed to these ungodly carpets because they were discreet inexpensive and portable now portable i find interesting because yes, brooms are light and you can pick them up, but I wouldn't say a broom is portable since they are usually multiple feet long and they can't fold up or anything. Right. And honestly, the fact that that's not an invention now is just like odd. Like <laughs> why aren't the brooms like little telescopes, you know, or like umbrellas, the ones that you press <gasps> yeah. the button and they just extend out. Like how yeah. cool would that be? You know, like so baller, like you start a Quidditch game and you're holding what looks like a wand, but then you like, you know, press a button and it just extends like into a, that's so cool. <laughs> that's way cooler. The other thing that I find interesting about their broom stuff, and I know J.K. Rowling is working with the established mythology of witches fly on brooms. So she has to write this in a way where it, you know, retcons and makes sense. But saying that a broom is discreet and inconspicuous a broom is an extremely strange object to have outside of your house. So if someone sees you carrying a broom, it's going to look weird as hell. If someone's like, hey, Jeremy, why are you holding a broom? <laughs> I'm sweeping out the trash in the city square. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, it's just me at lunch with my broom <laughs> in case I have crumbs go on the floor. It's so... Ugh. It makes, uh, it yeah, makes yeah, no yeah. sense. And like... There is this one part, I guess, in the first chapter where they're talking about like how it evolved into Quidditch and all these like precursor sports. And there's like this one part where like people had to like 
fly through fire barrels or something mm-hmm, and it said like mm-hmm. the wizards would apparate uh to the end of the obstacle course to congratulate the survivors and my note literally says survivor oh i have the exact same note in my notes we will get to it i have it all caps with multiple question marks survivors <laughs> so finishing up the broom stuff it says the earliest broom evidence was from 962 ad there's a drawing from germany with people dismounting brooms with discomfort due to splinters in their buttocks so this i think gives further credence to the long-raging debate on Potterless of the do they wear clothes under the robes or not situation. And I feel like if you have splinters in your butt from riding a broom, you're not wearing pants under your robes. Yeah. So I feel like they don't wear clothes under robes, or at least not pants. Yeah, probably not, and especially not 962 AD. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> They're freeballing it for sure. Yeah, they definitely had, they just threw on like elaborate robes, and it literally probably was a robe. <laughs> not sensible clothing at all. The final note of this chapter is that eventually when broom design improved, people started flying for leisure and more than just transportation. But that takes us to chapter two, Ancient Broom Games. This actually was a very fun part of the book. I have Mm -hmm. to give it credit. And all of these things sound better than Quidditch. So once brooms were designed in a way where you could change direction and speed and not just kind of go straight and up and down, games started to be played on brooms. And the earliest of which is, as you mentioned, the annual broom race of Sweden, which dates back to the 10th century. Wizards fly 300 miles from Copperberg to Arjeplog. I probably butchered those pronunciations, if they are real cities even. I don't know if these are magical pretend cities. But now what happened is people gather in Copperberg to cheer on the starters, and then they apparate to Arjeplog to as you said, quote, congratulate the survivors. And I wrote, survivors? Like, it's it says it's just a race. I know that marathons and stuff are very hard, and this is basically a broom marathon, but people don't usually die when they're just running very far, so I would hope... I mean, you know, that's really in the spirit of what a marathon is in the first place. You know, historically, we call it marathon because a guy ran to the city of Marathon and then gave a message and then dropped it as soon as he gave the message. <laughs> so actually... People, people forget about that part a lot, in that the human body should not do this. Right, right. So I'm just thinking, you know, like, maybe maybe this is within the, the correct vein of things to be I guess. The only thing I could think is, like, if the other racers are really rough with each other along the race, and it's not just, like, a normal race where usually in a marathon it is not encouraged to beat up your competitors, but maybe in this one it is. Yeah, and I mean, I, I just really admire the spirit of not giving a fuck that these <laughs> have, like, they were totally willing to engage in games that would more than likely almost certainly result in their death or serious injury. And I, I love it. I love that spirit. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> I love the lack of self-preservation. Honestly, it extends to all of wizardry. You see it in these sports here. And even in this book, there's multiple things where they're like, yeah, some people died, but then a lot of people started dying. So then they stopped it. It's the same thing with the tribes or tournaments. Like, ah, yeah, they died, but they were so long ago. Let's do it again. Yeah, it'll work. This time we'll be fine. And they're children, so it's even better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, they haven't lived that long, so, you know, is it really that, is it really that bad? <laughs> <laughs> so then the book just lists these other flying games that existed, and they all are incredible. So the first one is Stitch Stock. It is a German game where there is a 20-foot-high pole topped with an inflated dragon bladder, and the 
Bladder Guardian, this is his official name, the Bladder Guardian is tied to this pole with a 10-foot rope so that they can't fly more than 10 feet away from this inflated bladder. Players then try to fly towards the bladder and puncture it with the sharpened ends of their broom tips, and the Guardian can use their wand to defend it, which seems very overpowered, but it is one versus everybody. The game ends if the bladder is punctured, or if all attackers have been hexed, or if the Guardian faints from exhaustion. My note here is literally, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all there is to be said. So we move on to Eingengein, uh, which is an Irish game. A player takes the gallbladder of a goat Already, we've had two bladders, and there are more bladders throughout this book. We've hit our max bladder Absolutely. capacity here. Absolutely. <laughs> the player takes the gallbladder of a goat and speeds through a series of burning barrels that are placed on top of stilts. The gallbladder is to be thrown through the final barrel. Whoever does so fastest, without catching fire, is the winner. Wonderful. Great. Love a sport where not only is there fire present, but if you get caught in the fire, in addition to the danger of getting burned, you also lose. Just adding insult to fire-related injury. There is also a game called Creaothician. Creaothician. It's Scottish. I don't know if this is an actual Scottish word or could be pronounced better. Knowing the Scottish and the English and their penchant for putting a bunch of extra letters in really simple words <laughs> is probably like cron or something <laughs> <laughs> crothin but we just threw in 12 other consonants so this scottish game has players wearing cauldrons strapped to their heads already ridiculous i'm already on board at the sound of a horn or a drum up to 100 rocks that were hovering above the ground begin to fall towards the earth players try to catch as many of these rocks as possible and this game was made illegal because there were, quote, many fatalities. I would imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> but this is already way more fun. Yes, it is bad that people died. Yes, it sounds terrifying. Does it sound incredible to watch? Yes. Absolutely. It seems like something that drunk people would do. <laughs> it seems like something that when you're drunk, like, it seems like a really good idea. Hey, tie this cauldron to your head and I'm going to throw rocks. And whoever catches the most wins like it's like beer pong except it's just they put a cauldron on their head with like fire whiskey in it and you have to try to throw rocks you know <laughs> and you have to drink like a cauldron's worth of fire whiskey <laughs> like that sounds really fun i'm down yeah oh gosh i mean scottish kind of makes sense it feels like the most scottish game of all of this in that it is the most ridiculous but i'm on board same <laughs> so we then move on to a game that also sounds incredibly interesting called Shunt Bumps. Now, a lot of these other games in the book have pretty lengthy descriptions, paragraphs long about how the game works. Shunt Bumps, this is literally the only things they say about it. I'm reading verbatim from the book. Shunt Bumps was popular in Devon, England. This was a crude form of jousting, the sole aim being to knock as many other players as possible off their brooms, the last person remaining on their broom winning. That's it. That is all they wrote. This is clearly the best thing. We finally have wizard jousting, and they wrote 
two sentences about it? Like, honestly, like, I'm just imagining, like, wizard jousting being, like, an early Hogwarts sport, you know? Like, I feel in my spirit, like, definitely, you know, like, Godric Gryffindor and Salazar Slytherin were definitely, like, jousting, and maybe (laughs) Slytherin lost, and that's why he left. Like, I keep waiting for, like, some book about the founders to come out, only for us to find out that Salazar Slytherin left the school for, like, some really petty reason, like... (laughs) He left to go to the local village, but he got blocked by a snowstorm and like died before he could come back or something. Like just some really uh. ridiculous reason. And wizard jousting sounds like in line with what I would think. I think it's fantastic. I also think that this is a better solution to dueling. If you keep wizard jousting around, this seems like a much less harmful way to settle disputes. And is more fun to watch, too. I agree. I agree. And I also think that, like, thinking about, like, Chamber of Secrets and how they had, like, that wizarding duel, whatever the fuck that was. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. why would you make 12-year-olds do that? (laughs) Um, Because Hogwarts is a poorly run school. It's just the most poorly run institution possible. Needs to be shut down. Everyone needs to be fired except for, like, two people. Like, (laughs) I need an overhaul. You know, maybe, maybe Umbridge has some points in that. No one was getting teacher observations before she got there. Nobody was <laughs> trying to do anything remotely bureaucratic in this school before she got there. It's it's just everything's bad. The board of governors is just out there to try to spite people that they don't like instead of, you know, make the school safe. It's just poorly run all the way, all the way to the top. Yeah. I mean, just thinking like Draco and Harry doing wizard jousting. Like, how many, how many problems could that solve? They probably would have been friends so much faster if they could just get the animosity out of the way. Yeah, and then we could get a knight's tale, but wizards, so a wizard's tale, and boom, now we have Heath Ledger as a wonderful dreamboat wizard. <laughs> All good things. The, the final sport that they talk about is Swiven Hodge, which is from Herefordshire, which I did have to Google, and it. it is a small town in England. It says that in this game, players sit backwards on brooms and they bat an inflated bladder, again, back and forth across a hedge with the brush ends of the brooms. The first to miss gives the opponent a point and first to 50 wins. So I guess this is just like more complicated wizard tennis. Yeah, it's giving me like part tennis, part baseball mm-hmm. yeah yeah because more swinging and also part like the floor is lava <laughs> now how is that not a thing you mean to tell me they play <laughs> early quidditch and all these wild scenarios and nobody ever thought let's play quidditch over lava <laughs> like, come on quidditch in a volcano yes, i bet the hawaiian witches and wizards their quidditch games are probably like elite like it's probably like you know rainbow road levels of quidditch like, <laughs> absolutely wild i can imagine the hawaiians playing quidditch and then the first world World Cup, there's people from all over the world meeting, and these people who play in volcanoes come and they meet the other people and they just ask, You guys play on you play on top of grass? <laughs> <laughs> you mean there's no stakes? <laughs> oh gosh. So we move to chapter three, which is the game from Queerditch Marsh. So this is the first true history of how Quidditch actually came to be. As a word, as a word. Which is so what saddens me most about this chapter is that we learn that Quidditch probably came from the location in which it was played, Queerditch, especially because in one of the parts, one of the pieces of evidence that they have is a written letter and Quidditch is spelled with a KW. So I saw something on Tumblr that was saying, oh, the name of Quidditch is actually really clever because it's a combination of the balls in Quidditch, 
Quaffle, Bludger, and Snitch. And you put those all together and that makes Quidditch. Now that would be a very cool name thing, but it makes me think J.K. Rowling did not think of it because she has an entire chapter of this book that disproves that. I really feel for the people on Tumblr because the amount of headcanons that I've seen on Tumblr are just miles beyond anything J.K. Rowling could ever conceive and far more intriguing. <laughs> the stuff that people come up with, I think is very impressive. I think too many people give her credit for stuff that she just kind of picked and then people read between the lines of. Absolutely. She's like the MCU in that way. And she never would admit to these things. She'd be like, oh yeah, I thought of it the whole time. Nagini's been a snake for 20 years. You know, that whole crap. <laughs> so we know these beginnings from the diary writings of a woman named Gertie Kettle. She wrote a diary complaining about people playing Quidditch near her. And I gotta say, Gertie Kettle has the right idea. All I could think of was this lady has to be related to Hermione somehow. She has to be. <laughs> I just know it. And like, there's the part where she's like, Tuesday, hot. That lot across the marsh have been added again. A big leather ball landed in my cabbages. And it reminded me of like on Avatar, The Last Airbender. There's like that dude with his cabbage cart and something happens. And his cabbages get knocked over and he's just pissed. And I'm like, yes, that, that's what I'm getting. I'm getting Hermione. I'm getting the Cabbage Man from Avatar. Like, <laughs> it's like pointless rubbish. And I'm like, yes, this is Hermione. I've never seen a second of Avatar, but Cabbage Man is now my favorite character. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> He's the Cabbage Bender, I can only assume. Mm -hmm. So her first note is, as you mentioned, a ball landed in her cabbage patch. And when someone went to retrieve it, she did a hex. And this hex is not your average hex. It took the person's knees and changed them so they bent in the other direction. Gross. Gertie Kettle is a boss. <laughs> I love it. She's just like, get off my lawn. Like <laughs> <laughs> This is peak get off my lawn. Her next entry in the journal says, quote, broomstick idiots playing again. And this is my favorite spinoff of the Dropkick Murphys, the broomstick idiots. But it's just, she is... Uh, I want a whole backstory on just Gertie Kettle. Yeah, give me more. Like her next one, she says, uh, like, I guess one of her friends came to visit her and they went to go watch. And she said, now they have two big heavy rocks flying around trying to knock them all off their brooms. Unfortunately, it didn't happen while I was watching. Incredible. <laughs> Gwynog told me that she often plays herself, went home in disgust. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's the best. My friend says she likes it. She's dead to me now. <laughs> I love it. I love uh, it. It's so good. It's so good. What is not good, though, is the narrator, this Kennelworthy Wisp character, then goes on to dunk on Gertie, basically implying that she is not smart in that she only knew one day of the week because every entry says Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Now, what I think is much more likely than her not knowing the difference between days of the week and thinking every day was called Tuesday it makes much more sense if these people just play Quidditch on Tuesdays. <laughs> right. That makes so much more sense. And I don't get why the narrator is going out of their way to dunk on this character. And then a step further back, J.K. Rowling wrote a character and then made fun of a character. What are we doing? Right. And it's not like people didn't know what days were back then. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, this person is clearly unintelligent because they don't know what days of the week are. These people just probably harassed her once a week by <laughs> gathering on Tuesdays. And now she has it to makes be so 
much more sense to be like, hello, Quidditch playing friends. Let us play Quidditch once a week on Tuesdays. Great. Because it is the middle ages and like, we don't have time to play Quidditch every single day. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, seems so unnecessary to go out of their right to dunk on her. So then there is no further mention of Quidditch being played until a century later, there is a letter. And this is the letter where Quidditch is spelled with a KW. All of the positions have different names. So chasers are called catchers. Bludgers are called blooders. The trees now have become barrels on stilts. And there is still no snitch until the next chapter, oh, the arrival of the golden snitch. Hooray. Oh, God is right, Jania. Hey, it's me editing, Mike. How's everyone doing? Before we get ready to hear discussions at length about snitches, I think we need to prepare ourselves. And what better way to do so than with a little segment we like to call Wingardium Adridosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Fubo TV. Let's say hypothetically that you are me, Mike Schubert. You don't have cable because you're not an old person, but you would like some of the benefits of cable. For you, personally, it's watching live sports because the NBA playoffs are on. For your wife, Kelly, it's watching The Bachelor live and not having to wait for it to come out on Hulu the next day. What is something that could solve both of these problems? Fubo TV. Fubo TV is how you should be watching TV. You can get everything you want all in one place for less than the cost of cable. It brings you over 100 channels, cloud DVR, and no hidden fees. You can stream your shows on your TV or any other smart device. I have a smart TV and you just get the Fubo app for it and it is very, very simple. You can rewind, you can go forward, you can DVR stuff all from the remote. It is very simple. I have enjoyed this process and I've never owned cable before. Fubo TV has the major broadcasting cable networks so you can find all of your shows, including live sports and news. So with Fubo TV, you'll never miss your favorite primetime shows, whether that's This Is Us, which we don't watch, The Bachelor, which Kelly very religiously watches, and The Masked Singer, which my parents absolutely love. And there's no risk to try it all out, you get full access to Fubo TV for seven days for free because as a Potterless listener, you can get that seven-day free trial and 15% off your first month by going to FuboTV.com slash Potterless. There are no contracts and you can cancel at any time. So go to FuboTV.com slash Potterless for 15% off your first month and a free trial. That's F-U-B-O-T-V.com slash Potterless to get that seven-day free trial and 15% off your first month and watch either the NBA playoffs or The Bachelor or both today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club 
is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can right get 10% you can off get, your first purchase right now, by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, whether you're a sports nerd or a Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. And just when you think I couldn't dislike the snitch anymore, we also learned that the origins of the golden snitch involve endangered animals. Oh, God. This chapter, I was infuriated. I was so pissed. It's so ridiculous. J.K. Rowling is writing this book to say Quidditch is this fun thing I wrote in the books. I'm going to make a textbook about it being fun. Oh, I'm also going to make Quidditch responsible for the endangerment of an animal. Like, this bird, as we'll get into, was not endangered before Quidditch, and then explicitly because of people hunting this bird and then them taking that hunting into Quidditch, it became endangered. She's writing this fun book for kids. It's a fun, happy-go-lucky book for charity, but what are we going to put in here? We're going to put in animals getting endangered. Not just endangered, literally, like getting crushed like that's the whole thing is you have yeah. to catch this little baby sized bird and you have to like it's going to get crushed from the force of you trying to catch it and then there's like the part where they're saying like the bird tried to fly out of the fucking quidditch pitch and they use spells to repel it so that it couldn't get out and it was freaked out and then it would die because people were crushing it mm-hmm. what why why would you do this and then they're like saying the origin of how many points it is because this guy oh we will get into that oh god <laughs> let's take it from the top of this chapter yes. it says that in the 1100s golden snidget hunting became popular so a golden snidget is this small spherical looking bird there is a drawing of it in the book it looks very cute thankfully now it is a protected species but this hunting along with quidditch made it endangered So people just trying to hunt these birds because they were very hard to catch was responsible for a lot of muggle sightings of wizards on brooms because people would fly around trying to catch them for sport. Now in 1269, the crossover of hunting these birds in Quidditch happened. The chief of the wizard council, Barbarous Bragg, was in attendance at a Quidditch match. And we know about this because a woman named Madame Modesty Rabbit, or Rabot, or Rabot of Kent, sent a letter to her sister Prudence in Aberdeen. Now, first, this family decided to name their two daughters Modesty and Prudence? Love a themed kid. Like, what? (laughs) 
I love that she gives all of these people like the most ridiculous names. And it's like, dude, like this is still England. There's no reason why no one would just have just a, the most regular name ever. Like everyone is not named like, you know, water bottle <laughs> of paper, you know, like <laughs> they can be named John. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> they can be called John Smith. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it's Okay. So the second thing I have note about here is if this letter that Modesty wrote to Prudence doesn't open with Dear Prudence, I will be very upset. Missed opportunity. So Bragg, this head of the Wizard Council, brought a snidget to the match, and he said that he would pay 100, 150 galleons to whoever caught it. Now, the book clarifies that this is a million galleons today with inflation. And I believe the last time I tried to do the math, a galleon is like $7. So we're talking about $7 million being put on the line by some dude in attendance of a game. Yeah, and I, my only note at that part is I don't like this. Nope. <laughs> That's my note. It is ridiculous. Absolutely, like, horrifying. Like, I was like, okay, okay, I don't like where this is going. And then the very next part is about this poor little baby bird who right. is trying to get out, but the wizards keep forcing it back in. And this lady is just like telling her sister like how pissed she was that she ran into the pitch to try to rescue this bird and they were like get the fuck out of here weirdo and they threw a bird cage at her uh-huh and they hit her with a 10 galleon fine for ruining the game and she's like yeah well i don't have that money so i had to sell the house yeah what and then on top of that she ends the note by saying chief Bragg would have lost my vote if i had one so in addition to all of these sad things, J.K. Rowling is also letting us know early witches didn't have the right to vote either. Thanks, J.K. I love this very fun book I'm reading. It's terrible. Just tell me everything I need to know about like how awful it would be to be in this universe, at least in England. Like I'm convinced that all of the real fun and magic is happening in like other parts of the world. Brazilian wizards just thriving. Absolutely. Like I know the Hawaiian wizards and witches are having the best time. <laughs> like. <laughs> So yeah, as you mentioned, the bird was let out. Of course, everybody stopped playing Quidditch and just tried to catch this bird because, you know, $7 million were on the line. And the bird, even despite modesty ruining this particular game by doing Accio Bird and saving it, Snidgets still became a part of almost every Quidditch match going forward. And the Seeker was originally called the Hunter. And as you mentioned, they had to kill the bird in order to get the 150 points, which they assigned in memory of the outlandish prize from Bragg. Yeah, I hate it. It's awful in so many ways. You have the bird needing to die in order to get the points. You have tons of these birds getting killed. And then also you have a scoring system that makes no sense in that it's only 150 because this guy put together this bounty that was ridiculous, so ridiculous that the narrator had to clarify that people didn't think he was actually going to pay that amount of money it was so high. So why are you basing the scoring system of your game off of that? When you make a sport, you usually, I don't know, pick rules that make sense, not pick rules that pay homage to this shitty person. Yeah, it's just making me think, like, I'm imagining, like, you know, American football. And it's like saying, you know, a touchdown is worth 50 points and a, a field goal is worth one. Like, what? I have gone into the weeds so much about why the scoring system itself doesn't make sense. So I won't even get into that aspect of it. But the fact that you've determined a part of a sport based off of some dude that 
was at a game back in time is just not how the world works, especially if he did an objectively terrible thing of endangering these animals. Like if someone was playing basketball and they tweaked a rule when someone invented the three-point line, they were like, yeah, but if an Asian guy makes a three-pointer, it's worth only one point because fuck them. You know, like you're not gonna like, well, the guy who invented it, yeah, he was a big racist, but we gotta pay homage to him. Like, why are you paying homage to this person that was clearly very bad? So bad, in fact, that the government has to step in and protect these birds. And then I'm like, okay, but why would you still use, like, actually, I don't know why I'm asking why, because this is all very British. This is all <laughs> a very British thing to do. Hunt down all these animals until they're practically extinct, and then <laughs> still keep processes that are in honoring really problematic and awful things and act like it's not bad at all. That's a very British thing to do. So I actually don't know why I'm shocked by that. I shouldn't be. It's not surprising. <laughs> it's really not surprising. I will let all of the British listeners direct their tweets towards you yes. and not to me. Yes. <laughs> throw, it, throw it. Throw it this way. <laughs> the final note from this chapter is it says that by 1250, Snidget numbers were so low that the new wizard council head, Elfrida Clagg, whose name rhymes with the previous head, I guess, outlawed it. The golden snitch was then invented by Bowman Wright of Godric's Hollow. He was a metal charmer. He made it fly like a Snidget, but charmed it in a way where it would stay within the pitch so it wouldn't fly out of bounds. Why not do that first? Why use birds? Why use real life? That's the thing. Even if you're introducing the bird catching element to this game, why was it necessary that the bird had to die? Was that essential? Why can't it just be you catch the bird? There's no protection charms on the bird to protect its life. There's no nothing. They were just like, fuck this bird. We don't care. Like, what? That's like playing baseball with pigeons. Like, what is that? Catch and release fishing is a thing. Why can't we just catch and release the snidget? Oh my God. Ugh. Just truly terrible. Thankfully, one of the notes in this chapter is that there was a conservatory put in place to protect snidgets and it was in the name of modesty. So that's kind of cool. Modesty, the person, not modesty, the concept. So at least we have that, I guess. But I don't know. We move on to chapter five, anti-muggle precautions. Yeah, yeah. I was expecting, uh, you know, expecting is a strong word, but I was hoping <laughs> for more on this just because like one of the things that I think is just so interesting is just like the broader idea of like how the hell do witches and wizards have their own culture and society apart from muggles I guess and like how does it never seem to overlap and so they were just like oh no reason. It's very much yada yada over. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we just decided to play on brooms just away from people. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in 1398, the first set of rules was made by Zacharias Mumps. Of course, has to have a silly name. The first section of this rule book was about how to protect the game from being seen by muggles. So the council basically had to keep instituting rules where you first had to play in an abandoned field. Then this abandoned field would have to be 50 miles away from any muggles. Then it was up to 100. And then it got to a point where you had to play in these fields where there was no possibility of a muggle seeing it. The author then goes into how muggles knew about broom flying. Quidditch played a part in that. It's wizard's worst kept secret. But then, keeping on brand with dunking on people for no reason, they talk about children's drawings of witches on brooms and they go none of the brooms that are drawn by these kids could fly but earlier in the book the first broom that german one was just a fucking tree branch so what do you mean i'm <laughs> just the idea of someone just yanking a tree branch off a tree and be like i'm gonna hop on it like what <laughs> <laughs> <Yeet>. <laughs> it's already a terrible idea i don't get it and then they say that the international statute of secrecy from 1692 
finally made these Quidditch precautions against the Muggles' stick. The Department of Magical Games and Sports was formed, and they set up designated pitches for people to play Quidditch on so that people couldn't see. And you're right, I would have loved to hear more about the specifics of how they hide the giant World Cup stage, what charms they use, and all this stuff. But basically, the book just goes, yeah, they make some charms so muggles can't see it. Chapter six! Yeah, and I, I'm wondering if, like, the whole international statute of secrecy thing is, like, it's 1692. Is, like, is that a result of the Salem witch trials? Like, what... I want to know more. <laughs> it is something that's alluded to in a couple of these spinoff books, because I've read the Beetle, the Bard one, and the Fantastic Beasts one, and they also talk about this in Fantastic Beasts, the new movies. I think that this particular statute of secrecy was a big deal, and I think the big thing was wizards and muggles used to live in the same town, and very much along the lines of Salem Witch Trials, wizards were getting treated poorly by muggles, so they decided to just kind of hide. So I can see that. But yeah, it does seem like the way we learn about this thing is just different, specific, hodgepodge kind of ways this statute relates to other things. It would be a nice Pottermore entry. Maybe it is one. I don't know. But yeah, it seems like a pretty big deal that should be written about in more detail. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, we move on to chapter six, which will be the final chapter we're covering in this episode of Potterless. And this is changes in Quidditch since the 14th century. And here's where my gears really start to grind, because this is when they start talking about rules and fouls and the <laughs> logistics of how the game works. And works is used in just the most generous sense of the term, because this game does not function properly. I can't even lie. This was probably the funniest chapter to me. <laughs> I am a teacher. Okay. I live in an area where people are pretending COVID is like not a big deal. And so like schools are trying to roll out all of these protections and be like, hey, we don't want to open schools until these things happen so that everything is safe. And like there's like the parts where the people who are trying to make the rules of Quidditch like more fair and more safe just keep getting shit thrown at them and people telling them how terrible they are and harassing them and I'm just like it's so close to home right now. It was strangely way too close to home because you're right they have little newspaper clippings in this chapter where people get upset about rule changes and when I first read this book a while ago I thought it was funny, especially as someone that is a big fan of basketball, when people change rules or things happen, you get these basketball purists that complain, oh, this isn't how it used to be, and I'm so upset. And that is something I found funny. But yeah, this time around, when people complain about stuff, you're right, it hit way too close to, you're not gonna, I can't wear a mask. <laughs> this, this is my right to be a piece of shit. Like, it felt way too real. Right. So this chapter first states that the referee in Quidditch was originally called the Quee Judge, which I feel like is a pun J.K. Rowling came up with after she wrote the seven books and was like, I gotta sneak this in. This is gold. <laughs> which it's not. It's terrible. <laughs> so the trees that they originally played with became baskets on stilts. Those became goalposts. And this is where we get our first newspaper clipping of purists being angered that they've changed baskets into goalposts, which just make more sense from a logistical standpoint. Absolutely. Then they go on to say that the scoring area was instituted, which is a part in the pitch close to the goalposts where once you cross this line, the only person who can do so is the person with the quaffle, the chaser who is trying to score. And that 
also makes sense. They also go into details about the actual quaffle itself. Originally, it had a strap on it so people could catch it. Then it had finger holes in it, which does not make sense and has big bowling ball vibes. And then it eventually became a smooth ball with a charm that makes it kind of grapple to someone's hand, a catching charm of sorts. Yet again, why was this not a thing at first? <laughs> I, I don't want to believe that the early witches and wizards were just like this not smart, but like, it just seems like a thing that you would just do is make sure that you charm it to do whatever. It's almost like the early witches and wizards like barely used any kind of magic at all. Right. Like never, they <laughs> never used it. Cause I mean, they use a dragon bladder or go chase dragons or something like that, but we don't ever actually really see them using magic, like for things that would be helpful and make things less inconvenient. So it's absurd. So then there is something in this book that I find very confusing. It states that the quaffle was changed to be the color scarlet after there was a particularly muddy game of Quidditch where all of the mud that got onto the quaffle made it look like the ground. Unless I am misreading this, why did they decide to make the ball look more like the ground? Wouldn't they want to make it a color that stands out more? Like how a tennis ball is yellow because the court is green and how a baseball is white, etc.? That really would make way more sense. I was just confused and I was just like... They're really not doing a good job of like using their magic to just be great. Like I'm almost certain the muggles actually would have come up with better ways to play Quidditch. They probably would have. I mean, look at every sport. <laughs> Most balls are designed in a way where they're easy to see. A basketball is bright orange. Softballs are bright yellow. There's so many different things you can do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So then we actually get something that is smart. They added a charm onto the quaffle where it would sink more slowly than normal due to gravity because wizards got annoyed with having to keep flying down to get the ball after they threw it through the goalposts. So that is actually pretty smart, surprisingly. I, I think that is super smart, but also it's just like, I don't know why not just make the quaffles to the point where they don't fall in the first place. Maybe they hover instead, instead of falling. Yeah, I can see why it would need to fall when you are just passing it normally over the course of the game because gravity makes sense and then defense makes more sense too. But at the very least, you could charm the goalposts to if the quaffle goes through it, maybe the quaffle just teleports to the middle of the pitch because that's where it resets anyway. You are a wizard, so you can do this. I'm not asking that much. Yeah, I just all I'm getting from this book is like we have magic and we don't use it for anything. <laughs> we use it for really ridiculous things that don't even matter. We could have used magic for this thing, but instead we went with this other, more complicated choice. That makes all of our lives so much harder. <laughs> so then the book says originally bludgers were rocks, and that had to change once people started inventing beater bats that were so powerful that they started breaking the rocks. And they do have a note here, which I think is a very fun visual, is that people would break the rocks so then it would just be piles of gravel flying around chasing people which i think is very fun and reminds me of if you ever see those big mess of bugs like when it's a bunch of gnats flying together and stuff yeah like a big old bug orgy and you kind of run through them when you're just going for a run or a walk it made me think like that but with gravel chasing me while i play quidditch i thought it was fun i think that that sounds way more fun than just like a massive rock <laughs> it's more like annoying than it is yeah. unsafe <laughs> It feels like the more logical way to play the game because they would be annoying and distracting, but not, you know, break people's arms and stuff. Right. So then the quote unquote evolution, I guess, of the bludger is that it became a steel ball and then a lead ball, which was too soft. So now it is a 10 inch 
diameter iron ball, which I did not realize how big and heavy and painful the bludgers really are. But a 10-inch diameter iron ball, that sucks. Yeah, I mean, I'm just imagining like a, a bowling ball that can fly. Pretty much. Iron. I mean, I've played enough sports where if you get kicked with a soccer ball, which is leather and air, that hurts a lot. <laughs> so imagine getting hit by a 10-inch diameter iron ball. As a kid, and kids are playing with this in school. I get that it's supposed to knock people off of brooms, but why did we settle on giant iron ball? Yeah, I, I'm not understanding at all. That's <sighs> ridiculous. And I mean, you would think that by the time like Harry is in school, that like they would be made of some kind of like plastic carbonate or something like that yeah at least the kids would be playing with some sort of material that makes more sense something softer at least for the kids yeah they're like no we had to play with iron ball so you have to do that too. <laughs> if you don't die good luck you deserve to graduate <laughs> so then it starts talking about the snitch there is a tale that in one game in 1884 a snitch couldn't be found for six months which sounds like the worst thing ever. I love that the next thing in that quote is like they're saying, legend still has it that the snitch still lives. It's a wild snitch just on the moor. I don't know what a moor is. I assume it's like the woods. It is a big open field. I also had to Google it. It's just a big empty plains, basically, in the English countryside. If it's a big open field, it sounds like you would know if there was a golden snitch flying around <laughs> all the time. Like you'd be able to see it. I will say, give me the spinoff story of this golden snitch that is out in the wild still to this day. You know, I would like to believe that somewhere there's a fan fiction about this wild snitch and then like the Weasley's car oh, from the woods. They fall in love. Yes. <laughs> Deciding to just terrorize everyone and just like make everything really terrible. I ship it, I ship it, I ship it, I ship it. So it starts talking about the other positions. It clarifies that keepers are allowed to score. They can leave the goalposts. That's fun. The biggest change with the chasers, as I mentioned before, is that only the chaser with the quaffle can enter the scoring area. The reason that they did this was to stop a tactic, which sounds brilliant, called stooging. It is a tactic where the other two chasers would ram the keeper out of the way so that the chaser with the quaffle could just easily score. And then we get another newspaper clipping where purists scream in anger that their chasers aren't cheating. How dare you outlaw this tactic? This reminded me a lot of um, like with basketball a couple of years ago, they made some kind of adjustment to like a certain thing that didn't used to count as a foul, like suddenly was. And like all these older basketball people were like, yeah, basketball these days, there's too many rules. We didn't have all these rules when I was playing and like stuff like that. And they were like, it's just not the same anymore because of all the rules. What's so wild about that is if you look at old basketball footage, pull up a game from the 1970s. It is so boring. It is boring. laughably boring. Boring. <laughs> boring. The three-point line is the best invention ever in the history of sports. And people want these old games where Bob Cousy just dribbled around and shot it from two feet. It's, uh, it's pitiful. <laughs> so the Seekers, the book says, have the most glory out of any of the positions, but they also get the most fouls and the most injuries. There's a very fun note where they say that, quote, take out the Seeker is the first rule in Brutus Scrimgers. Rufus Scrimger was the president, right? The minister of magic. So is this his relative? I would imagine so, but I also have heard that Scrimger is like a not uncommon last name. Uh, but okay. I'm choosing okay. to believe that they are just because like the other Scrimger, he seems like very like no nonsense. And I think if he was a Quidditch coach, he'd probably say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first rule in his book, The Beater's Bible. So it's fun that he is a notorious Quidditch beater. I think it's fun that the sibling of the prime minister would be a famous athlete. That would be a very fun dynamic. Very cool. 
I love it. So then it gets into the rules and it lists seven rules. First, players can't go out of bounds laterally. You can vertically. There's no rule against how high you can go, which I guess, sure. If you do, it's a turnover. That makes sense. You can call a timeout, which I've already talked at length about why this makes no sense at all in Quidditch, because you just call a timeout right before someone scores. It doesn't make any sense. But you can make this timeout to be two hours long if the game has gone over 12 hours, which just sounds like the worst thing. It reminds me of like, I think in the first Harry Potter book, they mentioned something about like the longest Quidditch match took like three months or something. <laughs> and I was just like, so since we're making all these rules, why is there no time constraint on Quidditch? Like, why is there no- Because that, that would make too much sense. Because I imagine like trying to catch the snitch within a certain amount of time would just be way more fun to watch. Yeah. Knowing like, all right, I'm just going to settle in. This could be two seconds or it could be two hours or it could be two days. Who can say like, what? Why is there no time constraint on here? Just be like, all right, you got 15 minutes, go. And then we'll stop. (laughs) Also, how stressful would it be to be a spectator at a Quidditch match? Because you just have to schedule out the next month just in case. Yeah. You know, when I go to a basketball game, yes, overtime can happen, but usually I can know it's going to take about two and a half to three hours. But if I go to a Quidditch match, I have no idea how long I'm going to be there for. Do I pack food, a change of clothes, a pillow, a sleeping bag? What do I bring? And that's the other thing is like, what do the spectators do in that situation? Like, can they leave and come back? Like, right. how does that work? Do they have like little cots that appear so you can just like fall asleep during the game? Like, what exactly is happening in case of these long, extended, really inefficient Quidditch matches? Because <laughs> they even say that, like, if there's an injury, there's no substitution of players. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Like, every other sport has people who sit on the bench and they sub people out. Like, and Quidditch is just like, good luck, don't die. You might be here for a couple months. Who can say? It's just ridiculous. And also on the flip side, what if you paid a bunch of money to go to the World Cup final and then someone catches the snitch in 45 seconds? I'd be pissed. <laughs> You've dropped thousands of galleons for a minute of entertainment. But I mean, it's a lot like boxing in that way. Because I like, guess, yeah, yeah, you could just knock out in the first yeah, round. Yeah, there's been like a couple of fights like this year and last year, I think, where like someone lost within like the, the first two minutes and people have paid like $99 on cable to watch the game. At the very least, you do get a bunch of other boxing matches like the previous card stuff, but yeah. Still, it does have a lot of analogies to that. So the other rules are about penalty shots, fouls, about you're allowed to grab the quaffle and steal from someone, but you can't grab someone's body part. So basically like a reach-in foul in basketball. Like you mentioned, if someone gets injured, you can't sub, which makes no sense. Wands can be on the pitch. A player can have a wand on them because there's some right to carry law, which felt very Second Amendment-y to me, but they can't be used, (laughs) which just do some sort of charm where people's wands can't work. I feel like there's a way around this. And then finally, the final rule is that a game ends when the snitch is caught or there's mutual agreement between the captains to end the game. Which made me think about that three-month-long Quidditch game. You mean to tell me that the two captains weren't at some point like, I'm tired. Can we just agree to not? Right? Right? (laughs) I don't get it. There's that part where they say that there are, when they're talking about fouls, that they're saying there's like 700 Quidditch fouls that are listed on All of them happened in in one game. (laughs) Yep. So fouls, 700 are listed. They all took place in the first World Cup final in 1473. They have not made this list public because the Department of Magical Games and Sports thinks that, quote, people might get ideas. That is ridiculous. 
How are people going to learn how to play your sport if they don't know the fucking rules? It is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. It's also weird because it's like, okay, just because you have the list of fouls, like there had to have been people who wrote like other historical documents. Like you can't just hide the documents. And then he goes on like the very next line. He's like, of the remaining 10% of all the fouls, most of these wouldn't occur to the dirtiest player, like setting a fire to opponent's broom tail, attacking an opponent's broom with a club and attacking an opponent with an axe and my note all I could put was an axe like, how are you carrying that around it's just ridiculous that the notion of they might get ideas these rules say things you can't do and if you make them illegal in the game and you attach punishments to them people won't do them when you learn about the rules of baseball you don't think oh I'm not allowed to throw my bat at someone I'm going to throw my bat at someone. No, it's against the rules. You will get ejected. (laughs) Your team will be punished for doing this. It's so strange that that is a concept. It shows that J.K. Rowling just knows nothing about sports. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, the narrator goes on, says that 90% of these fouls deal with wands. You could just simplify these rules to say no wands, no weapons. Boom. Now, instead of 700, we have a list of 20? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, like, there's that. There's them saying that, like, referees were being killed at these games at some point. And, like, one of them randomly, like, they would turn the referee's broom into a port key. And this one referee ended up in the Sahara Desert. And I'm just like, what is this game? (laughs) It makes no sense. ridiculous. Ridiculous. Dick, you, list. The referee note, they had that thing that you mentioned. In 1357, somebody died. People think that the person who killed the ref was someone from the crowd. So that's not great to think that, I guess, because all these wizards and witches have wands on them. Imagine being a baseball umpire and you make a bad call and then someone shoots you with a gun from the crowd because they disagree with your call. Right. Like, I just, there's nothing, the more I read this book, I was like, yeah, I really, I went into it like, oh, I don't really care about Quidditch. So now at the end of this, I'm like, bro, fuck this game. This is terrible. (laughs) I'm just so mad. Like, as a teacher, I'm like, I cannot believe children are playing this game. Like, No, and it's the only game. That's the thing. It's the only game at Hogwarts. There are no other choices for, for sports. You either play this or you, or you play fucking marbles in a circle. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Your options are this or marbles. Get used to it. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's awful. And I think this is a perfect place to end this first episode of Potterless about Quidditch through the ages. So, yes. oh man. Jania, how do you feel? I mean, I feel like you've summed it up, but how did, how did, I think, I think you were right in that this book could turn someone indifferent about Quidditch to a fellow Quidditch hater like myself. Absolutely. Like after reading it, I'm just like, yeah, I don't like it. I think the only time Quidditch would be interesting is like at the World Cup. But aside from that, I have no, like, why is it a thing that, why are there no other sports? You know, like America has like football, basketball, baseball, hockey, all these other things. And this is, in a thousand years, this is the only sport there is. <laughs> this is it. Nobody else decided to come up with like fucking wizards on ice or something. Like, <laughs> oh, nothing. bring back wizard jousting. Bring back game where you catch the rocks in the cauldron strapped to your head. Come on, let's do it. This book, I was just kind of like, I don't know. The British wizards seem very like unoriginal. I'm like, <laughs> where's the innovation? Where's the imagination? We're not 
we're not really using our big brains here. I'm not understanding. <laughs> uh, what a time. Well, we'll cover more of this in the future. But in the meantime, if people want to find you doing stuff, your podcast, uh, where can they go? Where can they find it? What's it all about? Let the people know. Okay. So the House of Black podcast is a podcast that I am rereading the books from my perspective as a Black woman who is now an adult. I made the name after thinking about the fact that there weren't very many like podcasts geared toward like Black and other people of color Potterheads. So I used the House of Black from Sirius Black, who's my favorite character. And I used it as like a play on words because I consider my podcast to be like a house for unrepresented fans in the fandom. And so if you would like to listen, uh, my podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Um, this past Monday was actually the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Congrats! Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I'll be starting a Goblet of Fire. I'm very excited. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at House of Black Pod. Um, you can also follow my personal Twitter at the Lady underscore Artemis on Twitter as well. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. No, I appreciate your podcast existing, especially in the Harry Potter space. I mean, it's important that we have spaces where people feel represented. And I think Harry Potter is an especially important area because we could serve to better have appreciation for diversity in the books, in the fandom, in so many areas. So I think it's a great place that your podcast lives in for the fandom, especially given everything going on, at least in America also throughout the whole world. And then on top of that with J.K. Rowling, I it's just a whole whirlwind of I appreciate that your podcast exists and what it's doing. And I think it's an important thing to the community. So I highly recommend everyone check it out. Thank you so much for having me. This is like the this is like my I I think I've made it moment. Oh <laughs> yes, yes, because this was this was one of like the podcasts I was listening to that I was like, I want to be like this podcast one day. Ah, <laughs> so like I love it. Yeah, that DM I like sent it to my sister. I was like, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're flattering me way too much. No, I am. I'm so happy to have you on the pod. I'm glad that we could talk about Quidditch. I'm glad I could turn you into a hater. And I'm excited to talk about this more in future episodes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Jania, thank you so much for joining listeners. Thanks for listening. And as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter before all of these hundreds of rocks fall from the sky and fall into people's cauldrons. <gasps> Wizard on! <laughs> Hey, do you want to rep Potterless and slash or your other favorite Multitude shows with merchandise, both physical and digital? Well, you are in luck because if you go to multitude.production slash merch, you can get just that. Our newest Potterless item is the Canti Potter mug, which people have finally started getting. It is out of pre-orders. It is out of shipping. People are actually getting them and using them and they've sent me photos and they're so absolutely gorgeous. If you want a Canti Potter mug and more, you can head on over to multitude.production slash merch. Potterless is created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klaus Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfeliu, Rosemary Dodge, Maria Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadanira, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Nikita Power, Ali Madsen, Sarah Nick, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orchid Grower, Vivian the Owl, Moster, Alex Consolver, John Cocker, Noel Basile, Brandon Pickens, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alford, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shatter, Marta Morrison, Maya, Floor Sake, 
Siri Scaros for Georgia Davis, Skyla Lily, Edel Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Samantha Lentz, Aurora Fruhoff, Marco Cepeda, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeel, Brianna Cusimano, Kevin Stewart, Lori McDonald, Chrissy Tew, Charles Fiven, Peter McGrath, Sophie Duda, Jen and Rose Dab, Callahan and Darius, Leah Reed, Melissa, Rob, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's Mom, T Run Money, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie DeGrave, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Boney Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Rachel Mobbs, Megan Moon, Alicia Chapman, Riley Kiddess, Laurel Happy, Ross Ann Batamana, Eric Butler, Miranda, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexander Harrison, Sandra Rose, Kremick Roberts, Andren Kaufman, Steve Trelor, Leo Nachum, Julia Buzak, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Calista Delano, Love Keshlonger, Jennifer Terzian, Crystal Pollard, Henrique Wolf, Jeremy Elmore, Delkis, Katrina Smith, Jerrica Law, Casey Canales, Megan Stempen, Zat, Jack Skitzes, Sophia Lyon, Dane Nemcher, Rochelle Unatmaz, Kirsty, Robin Garcia, Chick Parm, Mermaid and her Daddykins, Aaron Ugas, Not My Daughter, You Biatch, Ilaria Vicentin, Lori, Gregory Hughes, Crystal Lee, Caw Caw, Mother Feathers, Nina Jazalek, Riven Monstrosity, Brittany Harper, It's Definitely Ludo Bagman, Ashley Somers, Grant Sohn, Your Friendly Neighborhood Ravenclaw, Gavin Miller, Aliyah Elsar Shobi, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Emily Quinlan, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Malfoy, You Little Shit, Sean Allen, Jenny Browers, Laura, Ella Levy, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Ann Peltzer, Nash Sonadiki, Brett Clausen, Hunter Gordon, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Kambamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com. For bonus content, you can go to Patreon.com slash Potterless. And for merch, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch. If you want to tell someone about the show, whether you reach out directly or you leave a rating and review online, both of those really help. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as I say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on.